what do you say, kind of five-year deal. So here's the thing for me. I'm going to share some things that God has been teaching me, and because y'all are a part of this church for either five years or five days, you get kind of the, you either get the benefit of it or you get the brunt of it, however you want to see that. So if these are things that you enjoy, you're welcome. If they're things that you're not, that you don't, I'm sorry, um, going in. But this is kind of part of the things I feel like God's been doing in my heart over these five years. And again, I think it affects the way that we function together as a body. So again, by default, these are things that God hopefully is doing in yours as well. Four things. First one's by far the most important for me. You have to learn to hear the Lord or be led by the Spirit. To me, those are synonyms. Listening to God and doing what he says, be led by the Spirit. Those to me are the same things. And I would say by far that's been the most important thing I've learned in five years. And that would be my encouragement to you individually and as families is to figure out what does it look like for me to be led by the Lord on a daily basis. Most of the decisions that you have to make as a follower of Jesus, you can't find the answer in this book. And I love this book. But it's not in here. It doesn't tell you who to marry. It doesn't tell you whether you should take the job. It doesn't tell you if your children should be homeschooled or private schooled or public schooled. It doesn't tell you what you should do for vacation. It doesn't tell you how much money you should save. It doesn't tell you what you should major in. It doesn't tell you. None of that is in here. It's not an exhaustive resource for every question that you have. If it was, think how big is that book for every person who's ever lived? You can't. This is a revelation of God's heart. This is who God's saying, this is who I am. I want you to know who I am, and then I'm going to put my spirit within you, according to Jeremiah 31. He's going to write the law on our hearts, and then he can lead us through all of those twists and turns of our life. It's better than a book. It's a person who lives within us. The Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 2, is the only one who knows the mind of God, and he lives within us as Christians, and we need to get to a point where we're comfortable being led by him on a daily basis. I don't mean you stay in your bed until God says, get up. It's not that level of detail. We've said before, big things delight red unless it's green. Daily things delight is green unless it's red. There's a freedom to live as a son or daughter of God, but it's this recognition that I'm living under his leadership. I'm following after him. It's an exercise maybe you can do. Uh, do it personally, maybe do it with your family. Uh, when we, on Tuesday, we had a little staff day away, and the question that we asked is, what do we value? And we couldn't look at our promotional materials or our website, any of that stuff. Based on what we actually do, what do we value? So we looked at our practices and said, well, what does that reveal about our values? I'd encourage you to do that, maybe as a family or individually. Go to dinner with someone who knows you well and say, if you just looked at my life, what would you say that I value? And then brace yourself for whatever it is that they're going to say. So they're holding a, you're asking someone to hold a mirror up to you. They're saying, if I, don't get to, if I don't listen to your PR, if I just look at your life, this is what I would say that you value. And so me and Penny and Kim have been here from the beginning, and we have all these great things that we think that we value. And then we get to David, who, like he said, has been here for five or six weeks, and he says, y'all are a mess. You're messy. That's what he says. You're messy. And I'm thinking new guy that's not and he starts to unpack that for us and it's true there's a lot of ways that we are messy and I think it's tied into this idea of being led by the spirit if you look in Exodus when 
Moses is leading the Israelites through the desert. There's a cloud during the day and there's fire at night. And that's all they know to do is to follow it. And when it stops, they stop. And when it goes, they go. They, Moses, what's the plan? I, he doesn't have, we're just looking at that and following that. When are we getting out? I don't know when we're getting out of here. I'm just following that. Ask him if you want something else. If you're going to be led by the Spirit, you need to recognize you're going to have that tension in your own life. I don't think you're going to be able to have a five-year plan. Someone asked me that last week. What's your five-year plan? I don't have one. I don't have a five-month plan. Seriously, that's not flippant. I don't. All I know is to say I'm looking at this thing, and we're just trying to follow. And what we're trying to do as a church, my desire is for you to do individually and as a family. You only have two choices if you're going to follow Jesus. You can either be led by the Spirit or you can create a list. Those are the only two options that you have. Galatians 5.18 says, if we're led by the Spirit, we're no longer under the law. And those are the two choices you have. You can either be led by the Spirit or you can choose to live under the law. You can create a list of do's and don'ts or rights or wrongs. Or you can have a flow chart or a spreadsheet or however it is that you make decisions, which is fine. But those are your only two options. 2 Corinthians 3.6 says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So having a list of rules that you can tack on your refrigerator is very comforting. Um, it is. The reason we fall into that ditch is because the ditch feels nice. It helps us on a daily basis make decisions. We can kind of refer back to this list of rules that we have. We don't call them rules, but that's what they are. It's a law that we've created unto ourselves to help us follow. It's clean, it's surgical, it's technical, it's all of these things. But ultimately, it will kill you. It cuts you off from relationship with God. The reason he didn't give us a rule book is because he wants a relationship and he knows us well enough to know if I gave you the rules, you'd stop talking to me. You wouldn't rely on me anymore. You just consult the rule book. And so he doesn't give us a rule book. He gives us a guide who we have to lean on on a regular basis. And those are the two choices that we all have. My hope for you is that you would make a choice and say, I'm going to take the messy route, which is being led by the Spirit. Ultimately, it's way more fruitful than the neat route of having a list of rules. Second thing, let the Lord build the house. Psalm 127 one says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. After we'd been here for a few months, um, we were trying to figure out what to do. We'd grown. We didn't have enough room. And we were trying to figure out, do we do two services, blah, blah, blah. And uh, we took a Sunday morning just to ask God, what do you want us to do? And a guy named Logan Weber, many of you know him. Uh, he and his wife were part of our church until they moved to Tennessee a few months ago stood up and he said, I have a word from God and I think it's meant to temper us as a church. And this was the word. Unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. If you're going to be led by the Spirit, there's a temptation to take matters into your own hands. And the more competent you are, the greater the temptation. The smarter you are, the more strategic you are, the better funded you are, the better connected you are, the greater your competency level, the more you're going to be tempted to take matters into your own hands. You see this with Abraham and Sarah. You're going to have a son Ten years later, there's no son. Sarah says, how about this, Abraham? Take Hagar, it's completely culturally acceptable. Have a child through her. There, problem solved. We gave God ten years. He didn't answer, so let's do this this way again in a way that's completely culturally acceptable. It's not what God wanted at all. And for us, that temptation, again, the more competent you are, the greater the temptation. But I think for all of us, there's a temptation to take matters into our own hands, to build our own house 
I forgot to say this earlier. At the end of this service, we'll have some ministry time. And if you're an entrepreneur, we want to pray for you. However, you would, um, if you would apply that label to yourself, I'll say it that broadly. If you would apply that label to yourself, we want to take some time and pray for you. And if you're an entrepreneur, this, this is the temptation for you. Whether you're building a marriage, whether you're building a family, whether you're building a career, whether you're building a reputation, and I don't mean that in a negative way, at school, going off to college, in our community. I don't mean negative building a reputation, just who you are publicly. We all face this temptation to build that on our own. And the issue is all of that burns. It's all in vain. Jesus says the one who hears my words and doesn't put them to practice is like someone who builds on sand. There's going to be storms. The waters are going to rise and the wind is going to blow and your house will not make it through. If the Lord builds the house, completely different scenario. That makes it through. That's building on the rock. And he can build it sure enough that it can get through. And there's nothing specific I can give you about that. You know your own heart. I think the, the spirit will convict you. If you begin to do this, then you're, you're building it in your own strength. And you need to let go and give him an opportunity. And that, those two pieces to me go hand in hand. We make a choice to be led by the Spirit, which sounds, yay, and then the temptation that comes in right behind it. We get tired of trusting is really what it is. We say we get impatient. It's we get tired of trusting God. And so we take matters into our own hands, and ultimately the whole thing falls apart. Third, act your age. This is Mark 4. This is what the kingdom of God is like, a man scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. That's a great phrase. All by itself, the soil produces grain. For some of you, that, that's all you need to hear today. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. When we first started, we had 30 people, all who came from Riverstone, which was a mature church. In so many ways. And I felt this pressure. It wasn't from anyone else. It was me. I felt this pressure to kind of grow up really fast. Well, we've got to have all of these things. And we've got to have this with worship. And technically, and obviously we're technically we're still struggling a little bit. And we've got to have this in terms of a, all of these things. Ministries. And when are we get you know, when are we going to have a choir? And all of this stuff. is. I felt all this pressure. The answers were not probably to the choir question. But everything else. I felt this pressure, and I remember I was praying one morning, and I felt God very clearly just say, act your age, and it was one of the most freeing things I've ever heard in my life. We were a baby, and it's fine for a baby to be a baby. No one expects a baby to act like a teenager or an adult. It's fine. for a, That's appropriate for a baby to be a baby. There's this piece that we all need to grab onto. God very, 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 very rarely plants trees. There's a maturation process with just about everything he does. He plants seeds, hopefully in good soil. You can look at Matthew 13. He plants seeds, hopefully in good soil, which then germinate. They develop roots. At, time, at a time, that seed then bursts through the ground, and there's some evidence to others that God has been at work. And then that plant produces fruit. That's when it's at a mature adult, when it's producing fruit. There's four distinct stages. There's the seed that's planted, there's germination, there's this kind of seedling stage where the plant has burst through the ground, but it's still not producing anything. That's actually where I think we are. And then there's a mature plant 
that is producing fruit. So for you, when it comes to becoming more like Jesus on a macro level, that's this process that he's doing. And also on the little micro level, he's trying to make you a better son or a better husband or a better employee. There's a process. He's working on you with humility and pride or patience or forgiveness or whatever those things are. There's a process. He's going to plant some word of truth in your heart. You're going to hopefully in good soil. And then that word is going to grow roots. You're not going to see anything for a while. And it can be frustrating because stuff doesn't seem to be happening. But what he's doing is he wants that word, that piece of truth, to have deep enough roots that can actually bear fruit. And then that plant will burst through the soil and there will be some evidence to other people that God's actually at work in your life. You may see it. It may just be other people who see it. And then it will produce fruit in your life and in the lives of other people. Again, that word there, the soil produces fruit all by itself. We don't have to make anything happen. We can relax. Whether we're awake or asleep, God is at work. One of the best prayers you can pray for yourself and for people you know who aren't connected to Jesus is from Matthew 13. You pray that heart, your heart and their heart would be good soil. If it's hard, that's unreceptive, you pray God would break it up, till it. If it's shallow, that's rocky, pray God would remove the rock so the roots can go deep. If it's crowded, it's weedy in Matthew 13, that God would pull the weeds out so the truth that he's planted can grow and flourish. Great prayers to pray for yourself and for people you know who are not connected to Jesus. Because the Bible is very clear. There's power in the seed. There's life in this seed, in the gospel. And if it hits good soil, it's going to produce fruit. So if we can say, I want to be good soil, I can trust that when God puts something in my heart, it's going to eventually bear fruit. The same thing is true for you. So I want to encourage you this morning to act your age. Where are you in this process of maturation? For some of you, honestly, you need to grow up a bit. It's okay to be 20 when you're 20. It's not okay to act 20 when you're 45. I'm talking spiritually. At some point, we all need to be mature, producing fruit in the lives of those we're connected with. For some of you, you just need to relax. You've been a Christian for a handful of months, and you want to just relax. Give yourself time. For some of you as parents, you need to relax with your children. They're children. You can't expect them to be as mature as you are right now. Lighten up a little bit. Let them, let God grow and develop them at the pace that he's decided, just like he did with you. So act your age. Last thing, rebuild the temple before you rebuild the walls. Ezra and Nehemiah go together. So uh, Jerusalem is leveled. The city is, uh, everyone in the city just about is supported. Seventy years later, a king named Cyrus says, Let's re, I'm going to let y'all rebuild the temple there. And so he sends about 42,000 Jews back to rebuild the temple. And it takes 70 years for them to do it. It's completed in 516 B.C. And then in 445 B.C., Nehemiah goes back and rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. And the order of those two things is very important. Temple first, walls second. Temple represents the place where we connect with God. And that has to be built before the walls are repaired, those are the places where we, can, where we connect with others, where we engage with our community. You can't rebuild the walls 
unless the temple has first been restored. What's interesting to me, it took 70 years to rebuild the temple. It took 52 days to repair the walls. 70 years versus 52 days. There was opposition to rebuilding the temple. There were outsiders who said, they sent letters to back to the um, the governor and said, you got to tell them to stop. They're rebellious people. But also, according to Haggai, who was a prophet during this time, the people just got neglectful. They started rebuilding their own houses instead of rebuilding the temple. They started working on their own lives instead of focusing on this corporate thing that they were supposed to be doing together. When Nehemiah said it's time to build a wall, everybody rallied again. It took 52 days. So for us, I think the pullaways from that. One, the temple, that's the most important thing for you. You've got to rebuild that in your own heart. Establish that in your own life. If your own life, if your connection with God is not strong and solid, then your engagement with others is not going to be fruitful. We've said before, activity always follows from identity. Identity precedes activity. So we've got to we've got to have this piece squared away. And you need to recognize there's going to be opposition to that from the devil. And for us, sometimes it's easy to neglect. Because God's not going to fire you, and your boss might. And so it's easy to say, you know, I've got to do this first. God doesn't nag, and your husband might. And so it's easy to say, I've got to take care of this first. God doesn't have deadlines, and bills do. And so it's easy, it's easy for us to fall into this place, not from any malice in our own heart, of tending to our own house, and we're neglecting the temple that God wants to erect in our heart. You hear what I'm saying? And so for y'all, for us, there's this piece that says if, if this vertical, it's not, if this isn't good, then there's no way this is ever going to be fruitful. And we're going to face much more opposition this way than we are this way. And so we need to be ready for that. And, it, and it's not just a matter of saying, well, I prayed a prayer when I was 12 or I come to church on Sunday. No, that's not it. It kind of ties back to what we said originally about being led by the Spirit. Are you, is there a vital connection between you and and the Lord? Is that something that you're working to maintain? If the answer is yes, that's great. If the answer is no, then let's work on that. Or you're not going to be fruitful in your engagement with others. Some of us, we jump. We jump straight to problems. We jump to needs. We jump to trying to do things for God. We've got to have the temple piece down first before we begin to look at the walls. So what does this mean for us? A couple of things. This is just practically speaking for us as a church. I went away a couple of weeks ago and took a couple of days to pray and say, God, what are we supposed to be doing? I had all kinds of thoughts. I had three, what I feel like were words that were strong enough to actually make decisions on. The rest of the stuff, I'm not sure about. So these were things I felt like, yeah, that's we can make a decision on that. And this is what they are. There they are. We were looking at this building back here, Waddell Street. I felt pretty clearly that God said, don't do that, at least not for now, and so we're not. Um, we did rent 2,000 more square feet up there above 164 where the elementary school kids are, and we'll be doing some work on that over the next four to six weeks, trying to get it where you'll put your children in there. That's kind of the goal. So whatever your cleanliness standard is, that's what we're going, that's what we're trying to meet. We've got to talk to the city and see what they would have us do, run a month-to-month lease through with that through the end of May, actually, is when all of our leases are up. Don't ask what we're doing in June because I'm just going to say there's that cloud and we're just going to, that's what we're going to do. The best thing you can do is just pray, pray. Ask God to show you and show us what's next 
for us. So that was the first thing. No to Wydell Street. I felt like God said, don't become facility focused. I think that was a warning that really had more to do with ministry than anything else. We don't want to get to the place where we're just trying with space, where it's consuming our thoughts and our prayers, and we're saying we have all this space, and so we just start to do stuff in our space. Right now, we're forced to engage with people not in this space because we don't have a lot of it. And so I think that was just a a warning from God that whatever we do moving forward, we don't want to become facility-focused. And I was asking him, kind of what stage are we in? And I felt like he said, you're young adults. So in that plant analogy, we're the plant that's busted through the ground, but we're not yet a mature adult. We're not producing fruit out in our community yet. And so I feel like the most important thing for us is to figure out why we're here. There's not a lot of doubt in my mind that God has placed us on the square, but I don't have any idea why. If you've come to a welcome reception, you've heard me say that. We're here, and I'm not exactly sure why, and I think that's the stage that we're in now. So looking at that, Ezra and Nehemiah, I think a temple has been built. There's a certain level of spiritual maturity that I think we've um, arrived. We haven't arrived, but that we've attained ministry maturity. There's some maturity in terms of our organization. But when it comes to why are we here, kind of the vision piece, we don't know. And I feel like that's what's next for us is to figure out from God why have you called us here? What's our role in the downtown body of Christ? What are you doing in our community? And how do you want to use us? Just like I say, God has good works for each of us individually to do. He also has good works for our church to do. And we need to figure out what those things are. It might take five minutes. It's a word of revelation. It might take five months. It might take five, I don't know. I don't have any idea. And I think once we figure that piece out, it will become much more apparent what we need to do building-wise. It might be that once we figure that out, the smartest thing for us to do is to go move somewhere else. It might be that once we figure that out, the smartest thing to do is to stay right here. But I'm not willing to make that logistical decision until we know for sure why God has put us here and whether that vision and purpose is better served staying here or going somewhere else. So those are just details, and you guys can give me any input. I appreciate all the input you all have given me over the past couple of weeks on that. Kind of flowing out of that, there's one other detail. We are going to add a third service. I'm not sure when um, I'll be. I'm not sure when we're going to add the third service. What time the service is going to be, or when we're actually going to launch that. We're still trying to work through some of those details as well, and I'll be asking for y'all's input. We may might do another Sunday morning. We might do a Sunday night. We might do a Wednesday night. So, all of those things are on the table, and you'll hear in the e- email update tomorrow all of those details. And I would love to hear y'all's input. So. That to me is that's a picture. All of that that I just shared with you is a picture. We're trying to hear God and follow him. It does get a bit messy. We're trying not to build this house on our own. I'm trying not to say what's the strategic thing to do. I'm trying to say what's the obedient thing to do. I feel like in terms of our maturity level, we're at this young adult stage, and just like someone who's 22, 23, 24, they're trying to figure out their place in the world. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to figure out our place in God's plan for our community. And once, as we're doing that, the most important thing for us is we've got to keep the temple primary. We've got to keep connecting with the Lord as a primary thing that we do. And out of that, we'll be effective and fruitful and engaging with our city. Good? Let's pray. Ministry teams, if you can come forward. Don't forget, entrepreneurs, we want to pray for you right now. Well, not right now. We want to pray for you in a minute. And I also had this picture um, as we were praying. And I don't know, this may be just for a handful of you, and I hope you have the courage 
uh, to respond, uh, particularly for the wives of entrepreneurs. I had this picture, and it was of a stewardess, if I can, flight attendant, uh, who was kind of being drugged. All I saw was her, and there was a guy that had her by the wrist and was pulling her, that I'm assuming was her husband. And I think the picture there for some of you who are wives of entrepreneurs is you feel like you're just being drug around. You might even feel like dead weight, that you don't have anything to contribute. Your husband has vision, and he has calling, and he has passion, and you're just along for the ride. And the next picture I saw was a husband and wife sitting in an airplane together at rest. And I feel like what the Lord was saying was, you're not being drugged along. God is taking both of you to the same place. And there's value in what you bring to the relationship. Whether anybody knows your name, there's value in what you bring to the relationship. And not just as a wife, there's not, but in terms of where God is taking you, you bring value to that. And you don't need to despise your contribution. God, my prayer for us as a church is that you would continue to grow us and develop us. God, That's it's about us individually continuing to become the people who you have called and created us to be so that when we gather together corporately, we're encountering you on a deeper and deeper level. So God, that's my prayer. If there's anything in me that would prevent anyone in this room from becoming the people who you desire them to be, God, I pray that you would remove it. If there's anything in our leadership that makes it difficult for people to connect with you or makes it difficult for people to plug into this church or makes it difficult for people to plug into what you're doing in our community. Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction and we would change those things. There's enough about following you that can be difficult. Church should not be one of those things. God, I pray as we move forward into this next stage of life, I pray that we would do so together, that you would keep us tightly knit as a body. I pray, God, that you would bring revelation in terms of why you have us here and what we need to be doing to fulfill our calling and our purpose. And God, I pray that you would continue to build this house in a way that brings you the most glory possible. And Lord, now I want to shift and I want to pray for these entrepreneurs. I'm not really, I don't know if it's this, unless the Lord builds the house thing, if that's what it is for them, this temptation to maybe build on their own. God, I pray that you would speak to them now uh, as we pray and minister to one another, that your spirit would move in hearts. And God, I pray for those wives who maybe feel like dead weight, that they would feel, they would know your calling upon their life and the pleasure that you take in them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand. We are running a bit late. If you've got to go, uh, you can go. We're going to have ministry teams up here at the front. Again, entrepreneurs. We want to see you, and then uh, Greg, uh, Bo will dismiss us when we're done.